Hello and welcome to the 18th episode of Pin Count, the podcast where we go deep into the tech. We're not your normal tech news podcast. We'll dig into the APIs, look at the tech specs and sweat the details. We're not journalists, we're developers and computer scientists. I'm Ian Wallace and I'm here with my co-host Douglas Shearer. Hi Ian. So what have we got tonight? So first up I've got some follow-up that um, should have been a few weeks ago. We talked about the Chainer AI framework. Oh, yeah, yeah. And in the register article, we linked to it, um, Nirvana's CTO, Amir Khosrowshahi, um, he, he was quoted on his um, definition of AI. Now, we talked about it a few weeks ago, and I thought his definition was really good, so I'll read it here. So he describes AI as involving deep statistical analysis of very closely observed events so that we can infer likely outcomes with satisfying precision. So why do you like that quote? I think I like the last bit, the satisfying precision. It's about getting the answer close enough. Yeah. And in most cases, the, the AI we talked about, like the Amazon Echo, is, is close enough to convince you or at least be useful. Yeah. Well, describing AI purely in statistical terms is, uh, goes against the very thesis of my uh, argument about what is AI. But there we go. Speaking of AI... Is this AI? Have you seen this? This is um, a guy who built a system to sort two metric tons of Lego. It's amazing. Have you seen this? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've seen this. Um, it's Jack Jack's Matty. Matty. He's a really sort of prominent um, tech blogger in terms of sort of business and sort of actual like actually doing tech and uh, web stuff. So, um, how would you describe this machine he's built? And then, uh, then we'll ask you whether or not it's AI. Let's do you want to describe it. So it um, uses a series of cameras to observe Lego pieces passing on a conveyor belt and then uses that as input to decide which bin they should go in. Yeah. So he's sorting Lego. Yeah, is that AI? Mm, no. It's got some of the bits of AI, right? It's understanding yeah, it's, it has, what it's yeah. perceiving, it's uh, classifying them, it's trying to de- discern fake parts from real Lego parts, you know? It's making decisions and acting on the world as a result of this. Yeah, I mean, what it is doing is very complex. It's more than just saying what the colour of the blocks are. It's actually, you know, classifying the blocks in terms of their, their shapes and, you know, is it a beam, is it a flat plate, um, is it multiple bits accidentally connected together that need to go somewhere else for later sorting, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, just, it's a deep neural network is a, the basis of the classification approach. And, you know, these days, everyone's like, oh, we've got a neural network, it must be AI. Yeah. I would say what is lacking is it's lacking any memory or planning, right? It's and remember if you remember the five ingredients of AI, that was that was two of them, you know, predict, predicting the future for planning and memory. So yeah, so I suppose, I suppose the thing you need to do there is have some sort of feedback loop where you look at what it's sorted already and tell it what worked and what didn't work, with, which is actually difficult once you're throwing hundreds of pieces in a bin. Yeah, and then it should tell you what badass spaceship you can make with your Lego. <laughs> that would be good. Okay, so. Um, I guess kind of related to AI and deep learning is, is new NVIDIA chips have been announced uh, availability in quarter three I think and it's the Volta so this is their successor to Pal- to uh, Pascal and uh, I don't know if you looked at much of the details in these because they're, they're quite different to Pascal architecturally yeah I looked at some of the details um, from the, well I watched the live the live stream of the announcement and then sort of um, Anantech had a sort of good look at the actual part itself the first thing I'll say is it is massive. It is one of the biggest single chips I've ever seen. It's, it's literally the biggest chip that TSMC will build on their best process. Um, it's 21 billion, bil- 21 billion transistors, which is a lot of things. Yeah. Yes, 815 millimetres squared. 
Yeah, I know. Ten, like just so ten by eight millimeters. Like imagine that on the end of your finger. That's bloody huge. Yeah, for a chip. And it's um, uh, its performance has got some interesting performance characteristics because they've got what they're calling um, what they're calling them tensor units or something. Yeah. I was going to say TPU, but that's what Google calls it. But they've got specific hardware in there for doing tensor operations, and very specifically for doing four by four matrix multiplications and accumulates, because this is the sort of operation you use for updating weights in a neural network um, with uh, mixed precision. So you're using sixteen bit inputs and then accumulating into thirty two bits, so you don't lose precision when yeah. you're calculating uh, gradients. Sorry, not weights. And this is interesting because they are boasting some enormous performance numbers. Uh, what they're calling tensor ops per second, one hundred and twenty of them. So equivalent to 120 teraflops in old money, as you were. So just to give you some comparison on how ludicrous that is for a single card, about 7.5 teraflops uh, for the Maxwell Titans that I use for work, for the Maxwell Titan Xs. So it's, it's um, yeah, 7.5 up to 120. That is, you know, an order of magnitude difference. Yeah, within basically the same power envelope and the same size card eventually. Yeah, so I mean, we've, we, it talks about this in the past, like the upcoming uh, dedicated hardware for neural nets. There's a few people building it. Um, as you've just been talking about the CTO of Nirvana, they're building hardware, now Intel. Um, you've got the likes of GraphCore, you've got people, you know, things like this, all building these dedicated chips. And now this is NVIDIA putting dedicated silicon into the biggest of their big chips. I mean, these are big, expensive chips. I mean, we're talking $15,000 a chip, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, seriously impressive. It's. Uh, yeah, I'd say I'll put this link in the show notes. Go and read it if people are interested in detail. But some nice machines coming out. They've got a, you see the workstation variant of their um, DGX one sort of supercomputer in for you sort of thing. Yeah, that is um, a seriously impressive workstation. I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the specs. I know it's got is it four or eight of these cards in it? Uh, four cards in the workstation. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so it's seventy thousand dollars, I think. Um, which is where we worked out the price of the single cards from. Um, but it'll be, I don't know, it's, it's quite exciting. Like, I mean, I look at it and I see the power and I think that would train in an hour or two the sort of stuff that currently I leave running over a weekend. It's, yeah. That's quite exciting. Yeah, it gets back to that um, um, sort of cla- classes of task length that we talked about in the last Pro Computer episode that yeah. allows you to skip some of your training tasks, like down to the get, you know, get a coffee or just run it all the way for lunch classification. Yeah, that's, that's really exciting. And then um, also in the kind of GPU news, I don't think there's much more to go into in Volta just yet. It's just pre-announced. No one's got the hardware. But um, some like the details are leaking out of AMD's next-gen stuff. So this was a thing that Foronix picked up. Uh, more device IDs added to the kernel drivers for uh, the Radeon Vegas, Vega 10. So that's their the upcoming AMD chips. So they're obviously testing stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... The, these leaks and no sort of official news are a bit frustrating and I imagine they're probably frustrated in AMD now that they think they're going to bring out their card and compete with current Pascal cards but NVIDIA are actually going to be shipping Vega like at the end of this year. Yeah, well a lot of it is price right for competition realistically I mean at the sort of prices most people are spending on these cards then AMD are competitive you know if you're building yeah. a gaming machine now you'd still consider one and they've got big console wins with PlayStation and Xbox yeah so. uh, and, and Nintendo uh, no Switch is uh, NVIDIA oh is it okay yeah it's a, T- it's a TX1 in there oh I thought it was um, AMD as well no 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 it's a TX1 which is oh, interesting that's interesting um, it's especially interesting because the TX2 is out these days and it's quite a lot of improvement so that's you know I wonder if we'll see you know, a Switch 2 or a Switch Pro yeah because um, you know so you 
Do you know much about the graphics on the Switch? We're diverging a bit here, but um, you know how it docks and it undocks, right? Yes. And because when it's docked, they're kind of freed from the power limitations, so they run the chip faster uh, because they're not worried about battery life and cooling so much it doesn't matter if the fan runs a bit. Uh, So it runs at 1080p with better graphics details when you plug it into the TV and then when you're running it handheld, it's running at, I believe, 720p and it tunes down some of the graphics options so it can maintain performance for a sort of decent power envelope. Yeah. And that's interesting because the TX2, the successor chip, it's specifically got a high performance and high power efficiency state. So it has these two states kind of built into it. And its high efficiency state is as powerful or more powerful than the high power state on the TX1. So, you know, you can very easily see a Switch Pro. You could imagine a Switch Pro, which is just a, an increment on the current one where it all runs exactly the same stuff. It's running the same, you know, all the same things. But then it's got it's got the current uh, TV graphics when you're handheld. You know, it's got your 1080p there with a, you know, better draw distances and so on. And then maybe 4K support when you're docked, I can imagine. Yeah, that sounds like it. certainly, even if you ignore the 4K part, uh, being able to run the docked level graphics when you're just playing with it handheld, that sounds really good. I mean, that does match the power envelope of the TX2, you know, pretty much precisely, right? It, it, it would give you that level of performance and performance per watt so i don't know um, if that's what happens you heard it here first that's my uh, speculation and i'm, I'm going to go ahead and say 4k on the dock side because why not why, why wouldn't you yeah um yeah. it might not be rendering all the graphics of 4k but 4k output and then and especially if they ever bring like netflix and so on to the switch then that seems like a no-brainer to me yeah anyway a little bit of a divergence so another graphics news because it's been gtc last week uh big gtc the main one so there's a bunch of announcements. Um, so some big sort of open source announcements. One was MapD, who make a GPU, well, it's the brand name of a GPU accelerated database. They've open sourced it. Um, and then hand in hand with this, they've open sourced, there's a consortium of open sourced what they call GPU data frames. Now, if you ever use something like Pandas, which is like a data science framework for all that sort of thing, dealing with large amounts of data, this is... You use a concept called data frames, which is just basically how you store and represent data in large volumes. This is ways of representing structured data on your GPU. And the key thing here is they're allowing, you know, different applications or whatever, or bits of your code to work on the same data frames whilst keeping them in the GPU. That makes sense? Yeah. Yep. And this is a big deal. So like some stuff I've worked on will process camera data in the GPU and then you'll want to run some deep learning on it and then uh, you end up sort of moving it in and out of the CPU just to pass it between these processes. Um, and I don't know, MapD, I, I, I don't really get the big deal behind that. Do you know much about it? Um, it doesn't really appeal to me. Um, so what, what I, is it? I, you, I mean, as, as far as I understand, it's just a fancy GPU accelerated database. Certainly the underlying bit, the GPU data frames, I saw people talking about we're able to write like a high performance time series database on top of that. Um, that sounds very interesting. But at the moment, I haven't really looked into it very much. It certainly sounds interesting though. But yeah, well, I'm struggling to think of applications where this would help. I don't know. Where you've got a small enough database that you can jam it in your GPU, but you need this really super high performance. I mean, all the demos that I've seen of it seem to be like kind of toy examples, but I'm sure someone's got some good use cases. Yeah, it's a bit like we've talked about the New York taxi demos before. They're all the sort of toy demos. Like, I'm sure people do have real uses for it. People running advertising networks where they've got like just masses of data, but somehow load it all at once, but they need repeated quick access to it you know it's bound to be useful for them yeah i need to look into some more some more detail maybe for a follow-up item 
Um, Fun, I've just had a look at the the map D website, and one of the things they have on the front page is ad tech. Well, they got the money, haven't they? Yeah. Speaking of high performance computing, you've got a Cray link in here. I haven't actually looked at this. What's going on here? So this is Cray, who are not the same Crays in the nineties. No, they're they went, not. No, they went bust in like nineteen ninety eight or something. Maybe a bit later, and then were sort of reborn. So they now make um, custom supercomputing clusters for people. Um, they're not the sort of old. Is the word I'm looking for scalar? Is that right? Superscalar is the word you're looking for, and they yeah, kind of are. They kind of are in that GPUs are, but yeah, they're a slightly different. Arch- they're using more conventional architectures. Right, exactly. Yeah, they use more conventional architecture, more conventional parts like Intel Xeon CPUs, um, and they're bringing out some using NVIDIA Pascal um, uh, P100 uh, GPUs, and they've got a version with Xeon Phi's in it as well. Um, I just thought this was interesting because it's sort of. I've got a bit of a soft spot for Cray. Um, this I mean, is interesting. So if this is right, they're talking about having NVLink connections between the GPU and the CPU. Do... But like like the Power 8. IBM do that in their Power 8. Yeah, I was going to say, it's IBM who did this already. But yeah, this is an x86 CPU. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Infiniband between the nodes, I'm assuming. Yeah. Or similar. Hmm. Yeah, interesting one to watch when more detail comes out. Yeah, there's no seat on it, though. So. Yeah, no, it's not upholstered. Yeah, that's what you want. Um, you, you're gonna have to put a link in for a picture that explains that comment. I know what you're talking yeah. about. But. Yeah, I will do. And then I guess continuing this AI event from the very high power to the very low power. Um, I don't know if you spotted this announcement, um, but ARM have announced a new computer library for computer vision and machine learning. Um, so I've dumped the link to the docs in it in the show notes. Have you looked at this much or? I had a quick skim through it, um, but this is certainly something that you, I don't want to say put money on, but you said would probably happen with Aram. Yeah, because the very first episode, basically one of the reasons that finally pushed us to start this podcast was me talking about when um, the low-level instructions appeared in Apple's Metal uh, last year to support uh, deep learning and AR type, type work, yeah? Yeah. And this is basically the same thing in the ARM Compute Library. Uh, they've got all of the building blocks you'd need to build neural networks, so convolutional filters. Um, they've got half and single precision general matrix multiply. I think we've talked about gem algorithms before. Yep. They've got some nice stuff for pyramids and uh, feature pyramids and canny edge detectors, Harris corners. These things are all used like optical flow for tracking your motion. So if you're wanting to do AR or mixed reality or um, inside out tracking in in VR, which we've talked about before as well. This is all the basic building blocks you need to do this efficiently on ARM chips. Um, so this actually goes much further. It's more extensive than the functions that uh, Apple offers. But this this is very interesting. It's um, Yeah, it's machine learning everywhere, right? Yep, got to have it everywhere. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see like what the performance is like. I mean, some a lot of people talking about how the sort of the next, like, GPU computing for uh, training machine learning models is kind of a solved problem. How to scale across GPUs at very large scale? I'm sure there'll be efficiencies, but the the you know the back of the problem is being cracked. People are training across tens and hundreds of GPUs with no particular bother. Yeah. Um, well, just to massively trivialize some very hard work, but um, the real frontier is seen to be mobile um, and doing the inference in low power. And yeah. So this is more about more about the inference than doing any sort of training. This is about putting it in devices that are in. Um, like yes. yes, 
but I mean there is some interesting stuff to do with training and asymmetric training and how, how the sort of things that um, Apple have publicly talked about where they're trying to learn without sharing data yeah there's been some uh, really interesting work on how you can safely train neural networks where you maintain encryption of the data even during the training process okay um, and there's yeah maybe we'll go deep on that sometime but uh, I'll leave that one for now just thought this was an interesting aside and then kind of related again related to the arm we're just going to continue this train of thought have you seen the um ars technica got a build of google's new os called fuchsia which is a new smartphone OS. have you seen this yeah so previously i saw this and it was it was like basically a linux kernel with some sort of google's own libraries on top of it and then i see now the the, the kernel isn't linux anymore and they've now got a ui on it and um, what's this for well, the, what they've got here and what you can build and run and play with in open source is a mobile OS that's not based on the latest kernel. I wonder if this was was or possibly still is partly a hedge against all the problems they were having with Oracle, with the Java yep. APIs. Um, also, part of me reads this and talks about replacing the kernel and you kind of think, well, but then why would they replace the kernel, you know? Brand new kernel and things. And I just read this and it's, all this article is talking about mobile and stuff like that and I just can't help but think about what about the data center, right? If you're going to... I mean, you can't imagine... I don't know enough details about the workings of the Linux kernel, but there have got to be people in Google who've looked at that and have gone, you know, this is good and we're using it across our enormous scale, but it could be better, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, one of the... Uh, for me, one of the obvious dangers for a vendor doing their own kernel, and Apple obviously do this, and for the reason I'm about to say is you want to control on all your own hardware. You want to know exactly which hardware it goes out on. So you're not supporting hundreds of different variants of hardware like the Linux kernel currently does. So it makes sense if this was for the data center where Google knows what they're going to be deploying to. It's in an environment that they run and understand. There's security and privacy arguments against closed source kernels and things like that though as well. Mm. It's it's interesting. Something to keep an eye on, I think. Yeah. As I say, you heard it here first if I'm right about it appearing in the data center as well. would not surprise me. So mostly we're doing... We're doing news, I guess, but I put a little sort of mini topic in here I thought we could cover just because I clicked as a few links I wanted to talk about. So it's kind of around uh, computer vision and graphics. So the first one, I thought this was really fun. Have you seen this, this still file project? Uh, if you've not seen it, just scroll down and tell me, tell us what you're seeing. Okay, so what is this? Oh, oh wow. Okay, I see, so you want to get to the making of bit. I see yeah. that is amazing. I know, right? <laughs> so just, just, just describe, <laughs> describe it to the listeners. Paint us a picture with words. So it's a series, like it's a series of four pictures, and they're photographs, renderings, or at least they look like renderings. They're just like oh, this is like your classic, like um, mid eighties SciGraph um, paper with you know a, a picture of the objects. They've even got like deformed teapots, you know, melting into the surface, and there's like a, a cube and a gradient and like a, a sphere and a cone sitting on a checkerboard. And I was like, what, what am I looking at? These are just like boring renders like I would make in Blender yeah. myself and then you scroll down and there's a making of and it's these are real things that someone's made in a studio and to photograph. look like renders yeah they're trying to recreate renders it's a uh, render realistic photographs rather than photorealistic renders that's yes yeah, even amazing. down to tricks to get color banding artifacts to appear in a real photo yeah right yeah, that is cool. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the highlight. Anyway, so I thought that was fun. And then, like you say, this reminds you of like ancient 80s SIGGRAPH renders. So I thought 
if you're not are you familiar with the SIGGRAPH the SIGGRAPH trailers and the SIGGRAPH uh, technical paper videos yeah I've watched a few of them over the years I mean the ones I always remember are Adobe ones yeah okay so they released trailers right of all the best ones and th- this year's is um, just announced there's some pretty mad stuff in it so I don't know how you do, how you do this we can kind of watch through you can kill the sound and we can have some commentary on it maybe or we can uh, we'll try that and I can always cut it if it's it was no good. So if you just play the okay. fir- play the first one, and yeah, kill the sound on your end, or you can have the sound if you want, as long as I don't hear it. Oh, oh so the second demo is like rendered water and sand as a dam breaks. That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I mean, maybe you can probably kill the audio now and just tell me what you're seeing. Then there's like a tearing plasticine demo, and then there's like a it's like a, weird a, shapes. Yeah, like a w- woman. Like the, lots of hair, that's always a favourite at Sagraph. Yeah. Here's our, you know. I think her hair looks a bit like it's made out of like long carpet or something. It's a bit weird. Yeah. It's quite a good hamster though. And there's no look at yeah, the hamster's good. There's a robot with checkers on it. There's a oh, it looks like rendered water coming off a hummingbird's wings. Oh, it is, yeah, it's fluid. Okay. Animating elastic rods with sound. Oh, that's cool. It's like a chain link fence with a ball through. Oh, you needed it. to hear it though. Ah. So I can maybe go back and hear it. Yeah, the key thing is because SIGGRAPH's not just graphics, it's like the audio that goes with graphics as well. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. That fence is amazing. <laughs> yep. Okay, so everyone, you're going to have to go and pause the podcast <laughs> and go and listen to this. And yeah, I just put the t- timestamp in the show notes. But you see the lip sync as well? That's pretty awesome. Some yeah, so I'd, I'd seen the, I'd, the abstract for that paper before where they take video of. Um, Barack Obama and then make it look like he's saying something I like this uh, drawing squiggles and it draws tentacles around a pirate ship that's pretty cool <laughs> anyway so these are pretty awesome there's some pretty fun stuff there yeah that's amazing okay so now with the sound back on so what disappointed me was compared to last year's they've got rid of super enthusiastic guy <laughs> so <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about click the next link that's last year's and have the sound on some good music as well Whoa, this guy is excited about this. <laughs> he loves his SIGGRAPH. But there's some pretty cool stuff here as well, right? This guy sounds more like he's selling like a boat show in Las Vegas. <laughs> I know. It's, it's worth watching for that. But also there's some other amazing <laughs> graphical stuff going on here. I like the drone one, how the people are running trying to keep it in sight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he is super excited about this. What have you got? Come on. You paint a picture with your words. So- so now, uh, oh, some sort of interface for interacting with like a bunny rabbit on the screen. It's like a physical controller. Real time colouring in a monster using crayons and computer vision. And some really weird, like, uh, bendy controllers for animating things. Yeah, that's the thing I was meaning with the uh, rabbit. You got to the hippo yet? I forgot to what, sorry? The hippo. Uh, yes, the hippo was, the hippo was cool. <laughs> Did you have sound on? Yes, it is a man blowing into the backside of a 3D printed hippo. To make specific noises. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah, what? <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, let's just render a load of eyes. Anyway, these are well worth watching, I think you'll agree. Yeah, that's, yeah, they excite me. But I wonder why they didn't bring him back for this year. <laughs> I know. <Too> <laughs> Actually, the, the comments on the YouTube video are great. Yeah? Oh, oh that, that voiceover is bad. Jesus. <laughs> and then <laughs> the second one is, it used to sound like a depressed grad student slash video intern reading words into a microphone in the lonely Mac room. Not sure if, yeah, not sure if this style is any better. Yeah, so there's, there's a very, there's a very um, classical style for SIGGRAPH videos. That is exactly that, yeah. 
Yeah. Fresh grad student video intern reading words into a microphone in the lonely Mac room. That is a ex- very accurate description. And that's what this year's is like. But last year... SiteGraph doesn't really need someone excited to sell it because literally the, like the, that chain link fence with the ball against it demo just makes me go, wow, that's cool. Like the The actual... The out the what would you call it like the creative outputs of the um, paper should be enough, right? Okay, so anyway, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You should people should go and watch it, and if you want to lose half an hour, or so go and browse SIGGRAPH videos on YouTube. Um, and so we're going to continue the kind of computer vision graphics theme, which is kind of related to a lot of this work is very close related to the vision processing work I was talking about in the AI episode, but um, some cool applied stuff that. Google, Google have really been on fire with their research blog lately. They're posting a lot of great stuff. Um, so this article here, if you click this next one about nighttime photography. Yep. Um, so I guess the thing here, so this is a guy who's been experimenting with mul- merging multiple exposures from smartphones to get uh, DSLR-like effects, Florian Kynes, um, software engineer and daydream. But, you know, this is kind of a side hobby for him. So if you look at the first photo in this, it would just describe what you're seeing, the, the one at the top. Um, so it's a picture of San Francisco Bay um, at night, long exposure. You get the trails of the traffic, the car headlights and the traffic, and um, the sort of glow from the city in the distance. Yeah, and it's a nice, it's a really nice quality of photo. Canon One DX with his ice lens, right? It's not. <laughs> yeah. Proper camera. Now, just scroll right to the very bottom and look at that image. The bottom. So two. that is a very like closer cropped, but very similar image of San Francisco Bay. I know, but the quality of it, though, is, is interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing, especially the clouds and the moon and such like. And that shot with a, an Exus, a 6P. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible, right? Um, yeah, it's amazing. And the one above, because this this whole thing started, it was a challenge he received from a co-worker to recreate the photo with a, with a phone. And if you read the whole thing, maybe not now, but you kind of, he explains exactly how he's done it and shows, you know, what the raw the raw images that come out of the camera like what the camera you know actually saw in quotes with how he combines the exposures to get these amazing images and he's doing this semi-manually as a post-processing step but this stuff will be coming to it will be built into your phone and will happen soon it's uh, i thought it was a really nice worked example in processing uh, images uh, yeah that, uh, this is like I mean, we talked about it very early on i think it was in the first episode again about the sort of the coming of computational photography yes, where your, your smartphone camera or your camera is actually doing a lot more work than you realise. It's not just taking raw pixels and um, you know storing them. It's actually making inference about what, what is there and what it can possibly actually be seeing. These The sky pictures are amazing. Yeah. So ha- Google ha- Pixel. You, have you read this article before? I have not read it. This is the first Go and spend... School, yeah, school yeah, yeah. Save it and spend the time reading it sometime. It really is a fascinating article. And then... Yeah, as I said, Google Research totally on fire at the moment. So this next link I've got here about um, their PhotoScan product where you can um, use your phone camera as like a scanner to record your old analog photos, yeah? Okay. Um, And you don't really need to bother looking at too much detail now. But what they do, this is effectively a really great article on computer vision as a practical worked example on, you know, how do you apply these computer vision techniques, the sort of things I was talking about very, very briefly in my in the AI episode and this is I'm explaining how you use a combination of uh, calculating the homographies to get the plane transforms between the different images so they can work out where the reflections are by um, doing some clever filtering and how they use the optical flow to correct for uh, 
the fact that it's a non-linear transform because it's not perfectly flat and so on and it's it's got some nice diagrams it's just just like if you want a worked example of practical computer vision this this is brilliantly done and it's um like a it's an easy read lots of pictures lots of diagrams some nice animated gifs um i do like if you're at all interested in computer vision do read this it's very very easy to read and follow and it's yeah, just from scrolling quickly, see so what you mean about the worked example. He takes a single photo, or the team takes a single photograph and works their way through it. Um, I'll save this for reading later. It should be good. Yeah, it's an unusual level of detail and particularly well written. Um, so and here ends my uh, section on this week in computer vision and graphics. <laughs> so uh, what, what next thing? We've got some pin count news coming up. Yeah, so well, first we've got... Um, what I think will be it's not a funeral for the Intel Itanium but Intel have the said they're hurrah. making yeah they're making one last version of the of the Intel Itanium and basically it's just a it's a how long is Itanium a been frequency been? bump it's like if you don't know what Itanium is ask your dad that sort of thing it's been around that long <laughs> yeah I mean I suppose the promise of it was great it was going to replace x86 and desktops and then, and then the amazing thing happened. is then um why didn't it happen? It's because AMD came and pissed on Intel's chips. It's been a while since that's happened. Yeah, there was a whole bunch of reasons. I saw I saw a few people speaking about that. The problem was it was they expected the unlike modern chips where the chips make lots of guesses about brand prediction and that sort of stuff. Um, the idea with in, in, um, itanium was to have the chip or the actual circuits on the chip be a lot simpler and have the compiler do more of the work but actually it never worked out like that because it turned out some decisions you can't make at compile time and then also not many people did the work to actually make the compilers run well for these chips. Anyway, in- interesting and uh, some other pink out news as well, more new CPUs Yeah, so this is like a rumour and it's a it's a rumour from the Anantech forums, which, you know... Yeah, I mean, you've written i9 in the show notes and I wrote i right after it. Yeah, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't put too much weight on these. But, but this looks like Intel renaming their high-end desktop chips. Um, I don't think it's worth talking about. It's a blurry cam photo of an Acer monitor. I mean, come on, Acer monitor for someone that works yeah. for Intel. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave this one until later. You're right, you're right. Uh, maybe we'll see if it becomes anything. But if you're interested in rumours on i9s, I mean, they're... The rumoured things are quite exciting. You're talking like 10-core chips that do 4.5 gigahertz, but um, yeah, hmm. It's not yeah, unplausible. The link's there. If I was going to yeah. fake an Intel rumour, I'd do it something like this, but I wouldn't use an Acer monitor. Um, <laughs> so, top pin count news. Highest number of pins in pin count yet, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Um, so this is um, a bit more detail about AMD's Naples um, server CPU platform. They're also doing a consumer version of it called Threadripper, which is a single socket system. Um, and I think they're looking to get, is it 16? Yeah, 16 cores, 32 threads. Um, and this, the socket is 4,094 pins. That, have they just gaffer taped chips together at this stage? I think so. I've talked previously about how the um, AMD Ryzen chips are like multiple... Um, how would they describe? Yeah, multiple dies put in the same package with a like a really fast inter interconnect. Is it actually like the Pentium D's were literally two chips jammed together, right? It's not as bad as that, is it? I don't think it's quite as bad as that. Or, you know, I don't think it's done quite that way, but it's a similar thing, but with a really fast interconnect. And this just seems more of that. The reason for the four thousand and ninety four pins. Well, I guess if it's like the the big Intel socket for the next Xeons, it's about getting, you know, six channel memory and some more PCI lines. So yeah, we'll it's see. about getting it's about getting the headlines that matter on Pink Out Broadcast. Yeah. That's exactly. what it's about. 
Um, and you've got an, Intel, an interview with uh, Mark Bohr of Intel here. What's, what's interesting about this? Yeah, so this is on semi-engineering. It's an interview with uh, Mark Mark. Bohr, um, he is, I think he's the head of semiconductor engineering. Um, let me find out what his title is. Senior Fellow and Director of Process Architecture and Integration at Intel. So what's his chat? So the interview is quite long. It's worth worth a read. Um, it took me maybe like 15 minutes to read it this morning. But he's talking about things like the next two Intel process nodes, which are 7 nanometers and 5 nanometers, down from the current 10 nanometers, I think, we're currently on. Okay. They're shipping 10 nanometers at the end of this year anyway. And he was talking about the problems and the issues with making features that small and also actually dealing with, one of the interesting things is dealing with the increased resistance from the reduced area on the pins that connect each die to separate parts of the system. Okay. And then there's also talk talks about the Intel FPGAs and ASICs and putting them on the same package as a CPU. Okay. And one of the questions was, do they have to be at the same process node? And he said, no, they've done work to actually allow different process node sizes to be um, lithographed onto the same package. Okay, I'll have to go and read that at some point then. And again, I, all have, I, do, I do find all this like detail in CPU design super interesting. Yeah, I, guess, I, think, I mean, it's it's unnecessary for the day-to-day of my job, but I find it super interesting. And that's why we did this podcast, right? So, I mean, yeah. kind of related to this nerdy detail, this latest blog post from Brendan Gregg is, um, I found really fascinating. I kind of read it and I was like, oh, where have these tools been all my life? <laughs> um, so, have you used the Intel performance monitoring counters before? Yeah, yeah I have, yeah. Yeah. So, do you, do you want to describe them then? Um, so, basically, it's just like a a way to it's a, a set of tools that provide a really high frequency view of what the cpu is actually doing most cpu yeah, i was going to say the thing that excited me here was being able to tell the difference between the cpu is processing and the cpu is stalled waiting for memory yeah yeah that's what i mean by really high frequency most most cpu measurement methods aren't aren't high frequency enough to even see that so yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with MSR registers and things because I use that for getting power information out. But um, yeah, the fact that this basically gives you instructions per clock so you can find out how efficiently your CPU is spending its time when it's busy. That's uh, This is super interesting. And then I kind of vanished into the gold mine that is the rest of uh, Brendan Gregg's blog blog posts. Um, so uh, I assume you know who Brendan Gregg is, yeah? Yes, I do, yeah. Yeah, but for, for our listeners... So he's a, he's that oh man he's that like um Netflix. Uh, Netflix I think yeah, yeah. he's basically um, Mr Performance for Netflix I think yeah I'm I mean sure the, the, the 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 first time I came across him was that he's one of the guys who was big on um, D Trace um, I think I've probably talked about using and Open S-Trace, Solaris in yeah. the yeah in the in the past and yeah um, D Trace was an amazing part of that that was one of the first times I sort of really used good and what you know spreading the whole sort of platform that you're on performance monitoring tools and then we've got S-Trace and uh, Mac OS and he was the guy that I would first or I first saw speaking about that sort of stuff um, he's a yeah I mean he's, he's the front page of his website is just a link to just a, a tremendous number of ridiculously deeply detailed things that he's either worked on or talked about some excellent talks and articles as well his style of writing is very good he's clearly a sort of natural educator or well maybe yeah. works very hard at it but yeah 
It's, um, it, it's interesting to see him at Netflix as well. I mean, I got I stalled because in my head I was thinking because yeah, he worked for Sun, and that, now I thought he worked for IBM or something. But then, yeah, it is, it is Netflix, and it's interesting that they've got someone like that. Yeah, so I'd say if you're interested in low-level CPU performance and so on, then go and go and read these. Um, and I think that's all the topics we have for tonight. Thanks for listening to Pin Count. Show notes are online at pincountpodcast.com and you can find me on Twitter at Douglas F. Shearer and Ian on Twitter at the underscore accidental. You can also follow the show at Pincount Podcast. We love to get feedback. Tweet us or use the hashtag AskPinCount or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For longer feedback, or if you just can't explain how wrong you we got something without reference to the API documentation and CAD drawings, email wrong on the internet at pincountpodcast.com. Okay, so a future topic is clearly Doug Goes Elephants, by which I mean web scale. <laughs> but you don't know Dumpy Goes Elephants? I've never heard of Dumpy Goes Elephants. All right, click click this YouTube link. You might want to just skip through a bit. <laughs> so what, what is it? Tell me what you're seeing. <laughs> So it's like I'm currently watching a VR game where you are an elephant with a trunk. Yeah. And yeah, he's he's going. You're going through a sort of low poly city, destroying stuff with your trunk. So like, yeah, the field of view is you're looking down your trunk, which is waving <laughs> around. And like, t- tell me about the control mechanism of this game. I'm sure you so can I'll, work I'll, out. Is it just like turning his head? Or doesn't yeah, seem much you just wave head? your head around and it waves the trunk around and you're trying to <laughs> smash things. <laughs> it's um, Jack Septicai, a sort of fairly famous um, YouTube um, video game reviewer, I guess he is. He just plays video games and posts his videos. But he's saying, if I ever do drugs at any point in my life, I assume this is what it will be like. <laughs>